Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hello and welcome in to a new edition, a Monday edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride, and welcome back in. I hope you had a good weekend. I know that there wasn't a whole lot going on at the NBA, but that is going to change today. It is time to start picking up on just looking at some narratives and some interesting situations that are going to be playing out once the regular season finally arrives for the 2019-20 NBA year. Um, For this podcast, what I really want to dive into is... First of all, the Denver Nuggets and how they relate to the rest of the Northwest Division. Of course, the Nuggets are the reigning Northwest Division champions right now, but with the Western Conference shaking up as much as it did, that could be thrown into flux very quickly. There's a lot of very talented teams, but there's also a lot of teams in that Northwest Division that either took a step backwards or there's just a lot of uncertainty surrounding them. So because of those things, what I want to do is I'm just going to go step by step. I'm going to go in alphabetical order for each of the teams in the Northwest Division. We'll look at the key additions, the key subtractions that they had. We look at their win-loss record from last year, where their um, offensive rating, defensive rating, and net rating finished by the end of last year. And we'll look at if they got better, if they got worse, what their starting fives will look out, what key reserves they have on the roster, and just, just kind of basically set the tone for what the Northwest Division is going to look like going into the 2019-20 season. There's going to be quite a bit of, of uh, competition in that division once again. I do not believe it is the best division in basketball like it was last year. There was just too much upheaval, but it's still very much so in the conversation of that kind of ilk where every single team other than maybe Minnesota, they're going to be at least contending for a playoff spot, if not right there at the top of the Western Conference fighting for an NBA championship potentially and the Western Conference crown. So it's going to be an interesting kind of conversation as I was going through and getting my notes together. I was kind of, it was funny how I was kind of realizing different things as I was going through. So hopefully this podcast kind of illuminates some different you know aspects of what the Northwest Division may end up looking like when you go to, when you get down the line. Before I go any further, though, I got to give some love to the Regulators Production Group. The guys are great. They make great beats. All the audio production they do across all the different podcasts and platforms that they work on has been phenomenal. So make sure you go reach out to at Regulators Regime on Instagram for all of your audio production needs. If you want to talk to an individual, go reach out to at Rod Simba. That is R O D S Y M B A. Great dude great people so definitely go give them your business and additionally terrapin care station who is the presenting sponsor of the denver nuggets daily podcast without them there wouldn't be a denver nuggets daily podcast so before i go any further here's a quick word from terrapin care station 
Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. I'm just going to give a 10,000 foot view of each team in the Northwest Division just to kind of get an idea of where everybody currently stands. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give their record last year, their net rating, offensive rating, and defensive rating, the key additions to their roster they made in the offseason, the key losses to the roster that they had during the offseason, who they may or may not have had, uh, may, who they may or may not have drafted, as well as their my best guess at their starting five, who their most important reserves will be off the bench and if the team got better worse or stayed the same so to kind of give a good example of this it's the easiest way to go about it is to just start with the nuggets which happens to be the first team in, ter- in alphabetical order so the denver nuggets in the won the northwest division last year they were the winners of the northwest they had 50 they had 54 wins against 28 losses they were seventh in the nba in terms of offensive rating with 112.1 offensive rating they had 108.1 defensive rating which was 10th best they're the only team in the Northwest Division, and I believe the Western Conference, that finished the season top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating. They also finished with a plus 4 even net rating, which was 8th best in the NBA. Throughout the offseason, they had three key additions. Jeremy Grant, um, I'm adding Michael Porter Jr. into this just because he is so unknown right now. He could be very good. He could be nothing. We don't know, but I'm going to keep him in the addition just because he's actually going to be able to play, seemingly play this year. And the third one is Vlako Chanchar, who I just love this kid, so I wanted to include him in the conversation. Um, Jeremy Grant is going to be an extremely important addition to this team. I've talked extensively about how well Jeremy, Jeremy Grant fits with the roster. I've talked about how well he fits with Nikola Jokic. I've talked about how well he fits in terms of the schemes that the Nuggets run on offense and defense and how well he'll get along with Michael Malone. So Jeremy Grant at this point, if you haven't heard me rant and rave about how perfect of an addition he is to this roster, go back and listen to one of the seven podcasts I do on it. I will link them into the article on Mile High Sports so you can definitely jump back and listen to those podcasts if you are so inclined. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., he could be the gigantic small forward that the Nuggets have been looking for. An athletic, six foot eleven, sweet shooting, um, multifaceted offensive wing in Michael Porter Jr. would be a very helpful piece. Again, he hasn't played basketball in two years, and he's had two lower back surgeries before turning twenty one. He just recently turned twenty one. So 
as of right now, still a non-factor, but could be a big boon in that uh, forward position for the Nuggets. And lastly, Vlako Chanchar, who I've explained as a utility player like in baseball, where he can play shooting guard, small forward, or power forward in a pinch. He can shoot, he has a high IQ, he can rebound, he can pass a little bit. He just does a little bit of everything. So if you have any hole at any point in any rotation, Vlako Chanchar can pick up that slack. Um, the only really, lo- the only real loss the Nuggets had was Trey Lyles, and honestly, he was probably the least uh, consequential player on the roster that played any actual minutes. So, while yes, I had to pick somebody for a key loss for the Nuggets, Trey Lyles is not necessarily a loss, and considering how bad he was for most of last year, it might actually help the Nuggets quite a bit to have a different player in his role, particularly a Michael Porter Jr. to give the Nuggets a little bit of a lift. They also drafted Bull Bull in this draft. They ended up trading in, I think it was the 41st pick, I can't remember, 44th, something like that, uh, to go get Bull Bull and draft him in this draft. So, no big draft splashes for the Nuggets, because there's not really a high chance that you're going to see Bull Bull play real minutes this year. Um, maybe he does, but I would be absolutely surprised because there's already so many bigs vying for minutes on the Nuggets roster. So what that means is the Nuggets will come out starting the starting five that we had hoped to see for most of last year. My opinion is Will Barton will get the starting nod over Torrey Craig, over Michael Porter Jr., over Jeremy Grant, if you somehow think he can play small four, which I am not of that thinking. Um, so in my opinion, it will be Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic as the starting five, which before last year when injuries just decimated this Nuggets roster, or more particularly their starting five, that five-man group was like a plus 33 in terms of net rating over like 130 minutes played together. So very excited to see what they can do. The interesting part of this conversation is when you start talking about the reserves that the Denver Nuggets have on their roster. And the reason that it's interesting is because they have so many good players. Uh, I mean, you have Malik Beasley who had a very, very big breakout season last year. Very highly valued player around the league. And a player the Nuggets really like as well. Uh, Jeremy Grant, the Nuggets just acquired and have spoken about so highly that I would be surprised if he wasn't closing games uh, within the first month of the season. They also have Monte Morris, who is arguably the most efficient backup point guard in the league. You have Mason Plumley, who was at one point a starter on a playoff team with Portland. You still have Torrey Craig, who started 11 playoff games, and then again, Michael Porter Jr. off the bench as well. There are so many good players on this Nuggets roster that there are going to be a lot of guys who just lose minutes. In my opinion, Torrey Craig and Mason Plumley are going to lose a good chunk of their minutes because Will and probably Will Barton as well because you got to make room for Grant. Monte Morris needs to keep playing 19 to 21 minutes a game and Malik Beasley deserves more love and because of the fact that you're playing Grant and Millsap, Mason Plum is going to lose a lot of minutes as well. So lots of reserves that are very talented but there's not very minutes to go around. When I look at this roster overall and I try and figure out if it got better, worse, um, or just stayed the same, I think it's pretty clear that the Nuggets got better. Uh, first of all, there's going to be internal growth. They were one of the youngest teams in the NBA last year, and they won 54 games, and now they're going to be moving forward along again. So, if... There is a linear trajectory, which there almost always is not, but it's the only way to mathematically look at this right now until we see these guys play on the court. You have to kind of assume there will be some level of just internal growth for the young players on the roster. Uh, Secondly, the continuity is strong with this team. There has been no upheaval whatsoever. So their ability to continue to grow together is a very important part of the Nuggets improving as a team. And third... They got Jeremy Grant, who could not fit better. I mean, 
Adam Marez has framed this perfectly. He's the perfect non-star to fit with this Denver Nuggets team. And then lastly, if the Nuggets can just finally be healthy and hit the open threes that they absolutely should be hitting, it's going to be very difficult for them not to improve in some capacity. This is the interesting part, though. I am saying all these things, the Nuggets are probably going to be a better team. There's so many things that point to them being a better team. But... I would not be surprised if the Denver Nuggets win less games next year and still improve in terms of their overall potential as a unit because there's just so many teams in the Western Conference who have improved all the way going down to the very bottom of the barrel in the Phoenix Suns all the way up to the fact that there are two stars on like six teams right now in the Western Conference. So while the Nuggets may improve and they may become a better team and a more dangerous team, they might not win as many games. So the the way that you define improvement is going to be a very interesting discussion. That's all I got for the Nuggets. That's kind of the idea of how this is going to work. So let's move into the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, which again, I'm going alphabetically. So it's not, there's no rhyme or reason other than that. Um, Minnesota last year was 36 and 46. Um, They had 110.6 offensive rating, which was 13th in the league, 112.2 defensive rating, which was 24th in the league, which equated out to a minus 1.6 net rating, which was 23rd in the league. Obviously, Minnesota took a big step backwards. They had the Jimmy Butler debacle, whatever you want to call that chaos that ensued last year that really made it difficult for this team to deal with everything that was going on. And then they fired Tom Thibodeau. Um, Now they're going into the season with Ryan Saunders as now their head coach. There's no interim tag. They had an offseason to prepare to actually kind of get everything back together. And now they're going to try and start this rebuilding process around the likes, of course, of Carl Anthony Towns. We'll see about Andrew Wiggins in terms of star potential, but as of right now, Carl Anthony Towns, he is who they are building around. So this could be a very different version of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I don't know if it's better or worse. We'll talk about that in a second. But let's just talk about the key additions and subtractions off the bat. So they added Noah Vonley, Jake Lehman, Jordan Bell, Tyrone Wallace, Trayvon Graham, Nas Reed, and Shabazz Napier. A lot of names, not a whole lot of talent. Um, this was more just kind of filling out the roster because they lost Taj Gibson, Dario Saric, Anthony Tolliver, Derek Rose, and Tyus Jones. Um, in that process, they also drafted Jarrett Culver, who could be a very, very good player in time. There are even some people who are, um, I guess, they're kind of just guessing that, or you know, an, an educated guess that Jarrett Culver could start at shooting guard next year. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But the way that I see their starting five shaking out is Jeff Teague, Josh Akogi over Jarrett Culver. If they desperately need the shooting, they might put Culver in over Akogi, but we'll just have to wait and see. Um, Andrew Wiggins at small forward, Robert Covington at the four, and Carl Anthony Towns at the five. That leaves Shabazz Napier, Jarrett Culver, Noah Vonley, and Gorgie Jang as the only legit NBA players to play off the bench. So when you start looking at their better or worse or the same, I think that there's the only way to look at this is worse. They had to take a step back to now attempt to take multiple steps forward. You can't go from all of the chaos that was last year and expect that you can just transition into a winning program immediately. So I think it's going to be tough for them to really field a team that is going to be a consistent winner this season. Uh, A big reason why is because they tried to get D'Angelo Russell and move money to try and make it work, and it just didn't because D'Angelo Russell obviously went to the Golden State Warriors. So that made things a little bit more interesting 
interesting. And then this is the big thing for me. They lost five of their top nine players in terms of minutes played and production. When you lose Taj Gibson, Dario Saric, Anthony Tolliver, Derek Rose, and Tyus Jones, all of whom are legit NBA players, that's going to be extremely difficult to replace with all these fringe NBA players they got in Noah Vonley, Jake Lehman, Jordan Bell, Shabazz Napier, Tyrone Wallace, Trayvon Graham, and Nas Reed. That's a very, very tough thing to do. They're all unproven talents that they brought in. The way that I look at this is Saric and Taj Gibson are better than every other player that they brought in. They're better than Noah Vonley. They're better than Jordan Bell and the bigs they brought in. Tyus Jones is better than Shabazz Napier. I mean, if we're really going to be talking about this, Derek Rose is better than Trayvon Graham. I mean, there's are better than Tyrone Wallace as well and Shabazz Napier. There's not a whole, they didn't really improve the roster. Uh, Jarrett Culver was a good pick in my opinion, but it's going to be very tough to field a stronger team than they had last year. Carl Anthony Towns is a monster. He could change the entire equation of this conversation just by himself. So they could be much better because Cat is much better. Maybe Andrew Wiggins isn't a complete disaster to where he is constantly hurting this team despite the numbers that he puts up. But overall, from this 10,000-foot view of this team, early in the process, just after free agency has finally slowed down, I would say that they are probably worse than they originally were. Let's talk about Oklahoma City now. Oklahoma City, obviously, is probably the most chaotic conversation of the Northwest Division. They were 49-33 and 33 last year, ended up losing in the playoffs, obviously. Um, they were 16th in offensive rating at 109.8. They were 4th in defensive rating at 106.5. And then a plus 3.4 net rating, which was 10th best in the NBA. When you talk about their key additions, it starts with Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, and then you also have Mike Mascala. Not a ton of addition considering how much upheaval existed uh, with their team because also, as everybody should know at this point, they had to trade Paul. They had to trade Paul George, who requested a trade to go play with Kawhi Leonard. They then moved off of Russell Westbrook to start their rebuilding process, and then also traded Jeremy Grant to the Denver Nuggets. They got what eleven first round picks, including pick swaps for all the moves that they did. But overall, their talent level is lower than it used to be. They also lost Markeith Morris as well in addition to Grant, George, and Westbrook. So where does that leave their team? Oh, by the way, they drafted Darius Baisley, who I definitely like. He had that New Balance. Uh, was it New Balance? I think it was. Uh, the New Balance, I guess, scholarship or fund or grant or whatever you want to call it, internship, to where he made the million dollars and just trained all year. Um, that's the guy that they drafted as well in this draft, who I do think will be good. So looking at the starting five now, my guess would be that they start Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who they feel is the future point guard or just future lead guard of this team, Terrence Ferguson, Danilo Gallinari, and Steven Adams. A lot of people have Andre Roberson penciled in as a small forward. I just don't know when he'll be ready. I don't know where he's at um, physically or health-wise, um, and he hasn't played in 18 months or however long it's been. It's been over a year. So... With that being said, I think they could use the shooting and the athleticism of Terrence Ferguson in that starting five. And if they're going to be somewhat rebuilding or retooling on the fly, you you should play your younger players. So getting Terrence Ferguson more minutes does nothing but help in the long run because at least you know who you have. So that's how I see their starting five shaking out. 
Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Terrence Ferguson, Danilo Gallinari, Steven Adams. It's actually a decent starting five, if you ask me. And then their reserve unit is Dennis Schroeder, Patrick Patterson, Nerlens Noel, Mike Muscala, Hamidou Diallo, and maybe Andre Roberson. Those are their reserves. Um, we'll see how they fit. Um, that's going to be the hard part is Dennis Schroeder, Hamidou Diallo, Andre Roberson, and then one of Noel, Muscala, and Patterson off the bench, I guess. I don't know. It's going to be weird how they fit their bench unit together, especially depending on how they start their team. If they end up starting, Andre Roberson or Hamadou Diallo finally takes a leap forward and becomes an actual basketball player and not just an athlete. All of those things are going to have to be deciphered through before they actually know what they have. But that's kind of how I see it right now is Chris Paul, Shea Alexander, Terrence Ferguson, Danilo Gallinari, Stephen Adams starting. And then some mixture of Dennis Schroeder, Patrick Patterson, Nerlens Noel, Mike Muscala, Hamadou Diallo, and Andre Roberson off the bench. Um, when it comes to better or worse or the same, it's clearly worse because you lost Paul George, who was third in MVP voting, and Russell Westbrook, who has averaged a triple-double for three straight seasons, and Jeremy Grant, who is great at everything. Um, so because of that, yes, it's very clear they got worse, but it is not nearly as much of a disaster as it normally is when you start a rebuild in the way that the Thunder did. Yes, they lost Russ, Paul George, and Jeremy Grant, but they're not the bottom of the barrel. They're not a completely useless team. They have a lot of defensive ability. They can switch, they can play big, they can play small, they can contain, they can really bang with guys down low, they can switch, they can hedge, they can drop. They have so many different ways that they can play defense if they so feel. They have a traditional rim protector in Steven Adams. They have a mobile big in Nerlens Noel. You have Patrick Patterson with a high IQ for their bigs. Chris Paul and Shea Gildas-Alexander are going to be absolutely awesome defensively together on the perimeter in terms of shutting down guards. And Andre Roberson was arguably the best perimeter defender in basketball before getting hurt. So there's a lot of good defenders on this team. They also have a couple individual scorers that may be able to just get their buckets when they need it. Uh, Chris Paul can obviously do that. Danilo Gallinari has been getting to the line for a basically for a living for the past five years. Dennis Schroeder, for all of his faults, at least can get to his own shot. And if Shea Gildas-Alexander can take a leap and use his length, size, and... IQ to be able to become an individual scorer. They have four guys they can rely on and one off the bench and you can obviously stagger guys to be able to have enough individual scoring and they can play small or big. You can play Chris Paul, Shea Gildas, Alexander, Gallo, Muscala, and Adams together if you want to go big. Having Gallo at three, Muscala at four, and Adams at five is a really big team. Or you can play three guards with Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Shea Gildas, Alexander, play Gallo at the five and have Stephen Adams out there on Erlens Noel to play small. They're, they can really match up with teams in a lot of different ways. The thing that's going to hurt them is obviously all the upheaval and then trying to figure out how an offensive system is going to work because they just need more shooting, in my opinion. So we'll have, we'll have to just wait and see. They're not better at all. They're definitely worse, but they're not going to be the mitigated, the unmitigated disaster that some think they're going to be. Okay, that's enough on them. Let's move on to Portland, and then we will finish with the Utah Jazz. Uh, so Portland last year obviously beat the Denver Nuggets in the second round of the playoffs in Game 7. They went 53-29 and last year. Um, 
in terms of offensive rating, they were third. They were very good in terms of offensive rating. They had 113.7 offensive rating. But defensively, they were 16th with a 109.5 defensive rating. And then they were plus 4.2 as a net rating, which was 7th in the NBA. Um, I believe that 7th mark was the highest net rating in the... Yes, it was. Uh, was the highest net rating in the Northwest Division last year, just slightly ahead of, the, of that Denver Nuggets team at Thus far, um, the key additions for Portland is Kent Bazemore, Mario Izonia, Anthony Tolliver, Pau Gasol, and Hassan Whiteside. But in addition to that, they did lose Seth Curry, Evan Turner, Al Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless, Jay Clayman, Myers Leonard, and Ennis Cantor. They also drafted Nasir Little as well. Um, but with all that being said... They're starting five right now with Nurkic injured. Don't forget that Yusef Nurkic is going to be out for a chunk of time to start the year. It looks like it'll be Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Kent Bazemore at the three, which is kind of out of position, Zach Collins at the four, who they will need quite a bit from this year to take a step forward, and Hassan Whiteside, because who the hell knows what Hassan will bring to the table, but they absolutely need some kind of center to play on that um, with that unit, with Nurkic obviously injured. They do have Pau Gasol, who could potentially start, but Pau Gasol is not young, so it's going to be very tough to play him big minutes. That leaves the reserves with Anthony Simons, Rodney Hood, Anthony Tolliver, Pau Gasol, Mario Hizonia. Uh, Yusef Nurkic is injured. He'll end up starting. Put him in wherever you want for now. But Nurkic is not really included in this conversation because we don't know what he'll look like when he gets back. That was a pretty horrific injury that he went through. The big part of the reserves is going to be... First of all, Anthony Simons. They don't have a point guard on the roster beyond Damian Lillard. Anthony Simons is not necessarily a point guard. He's more of one of those lead guards, kind of like CJ McCollum, but they need someone to play backup point guard minutes. So it looks like Anthony Simons might be playing 20, 25 minutes a night, depending on what they need to do. Uh, Rodney Hood is going to need to pick up a ton of slack on the perimeter for them because they lost Mo Harkless, Jake Lehman, Al Farouk uh, Aminu, and Evan Turner on the wing. So when you lose all of those wings, Rodney Hood is going to need to take a gigantic step forward, and they're going to need Anthony Tolliver to be that 40% three-point shooter he can be. Uh, Mario Hizonia... Mostly just a flyer because they desperately need a wing depth. We'll see if he can actually kind of grow into the player that he has been looked at as since he was a draft prospect. He has a ton of skills, but just hasn't quite put it together yet. So with all of those things being said, it's going to be interesting to see what that bench unit looks like. And also if they're going to be able to have enough wing depth and enough guard depth to really be able to make this team function together. That's going to be a very difficult thing to do. So when I look at if they're better if they're better or if they're worse or if they're the same, I have to say in my opinion, I think Portland took a pretty big step backwards as a team. Um, and when I say pretty big, I mean pretty big. They lost all of their wing depth. You can't have Rodney Hood and Anthony Tolliver and Kenton Bazemore and be like, you know what, that'll be enough to replace the likes of Evan Turner, Al Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless, and Jake Lehman, and honestly Myers Leonard, who spaced the floor in an Anthony Tolliver-esque kind of way. So 
that's a lot to lose. That is a lot of players to lose um, on the wing. So that's going to be tough for them to overcome. Is that going to be enough? I don't think it's going to. Uh, Nurkic being hurt for the start of the year is going to make it very, very difficult. Whiteside is not a good NBA player. We'll see if Damian Lillard can get the most out of him. If he can, he's he's immediately going to be pushed into the best leader in the NBA category. Um, Pau Gasol is like, what, 39 years old and can't start and play lots of minutes, so that's not going to help. Anthony Tolliver can't play the five so not having Nurkic is going to really hurt them and then relying on Anthony Simons to be this guy this 22 23 minute per game guy scoring leading the bench unit again is going to be very difficult for them so in my opinion despite the fact that they have Damon CJ I do see Portland getting worse so we'll have to just wait and see it's going to be a hard thing to really tell what they're going to end up as but at the same time it's going to be interesting because Portland doesn't die Portland has never just rolled over, so we'll see what happens, but as of right now, in my opinion, they did get worse. Next, the last the last team is the Utah Jazz in the Northwest Division, as I've been going, obviously, alphabetically throughout this. Uh, the Jazz last year were 50-32. and 32. They finished the season with a 110.3 offensive rating, which was 14th in the league, 105.3 defensive rating, which was 2nd in the league, and a plus-5 net rating in the league, which was 4th. I mistakenly said Portland had the highest net rating in the Northwest Division. It was actually Utah. Denver was 3rd, believe it or not, despite the fact that they won the Northwest division. Um, Utah had one of the best off-seasons of any team in the NBA. They ended up adding Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, Ed Davis, Jeff Green, and Emmanuel Moutier. In the process, they lost Raul Neto, Ricky Rubio, Kyle Korver, and Derek Favors. When you look at what the Utah Jazz needed on their team to be able to take the next step forward into contention, they needed a two-way point guard who can play on or off the ball so that Donovan Mitchell can continue to thrive in whatever way he needs to. And they also needed a multifaceted, offensively-minded combo forward who can play power forward or small forward to be able to mix and match lineups, be more versatile, and just add more shooting. They got Mike Conley who is one of the best two-way point guards with a lethal off-ball shooting stroke who can still tear teams apart in the pick-and-roll as the initiator, as their point guard. And then they found Boyan Bogdanovich, who they signed from the Indiana Pacers, as the perfect multifaceted uh, power forward, small forward, just combo forward to fit the team. So now... They are starting Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Rudy Gobert. You have the elite rim protecting of Rudy Gobert. You have the great spacing of Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Mike Conley. You have Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley as a just defensive terror of a backcourt. Joe Ingles, one of the smartest defenders in basketball. And then again, Gobert to clean up all of the issues that Boyan Bogdanovich may present defensively. This team just, every issue that one player has, a different player has a strength to counteract it. They have so much depth and so much balance between their starting five that it's hard not to look at this Utah Jazz team and put them near the top of the Western Conference. They are going to be very, very good, but they still are going to have some depth issues. They're, they basically have, I would... Mm, I guess you can say they're nine deep. Um, yeah, I'm going to say nine deep, and even that's being extremely uh, generous. So first of all, 
Royce O'Neal and Ed Davis are probably going to be the two most important players off of the bench for them. Ed Davis will give the Utah Jazz the toughness that they lost from Derek Favors with him going elsewhere. And then Royce O'Neal will just be, again, uh, you know, a guy who can do a little bit of everything on the floor. They also have Jeff Green as a combo forward off the bench, but their guard depth off the bench is a little bit scary. Uh, very scary. Dante Exum has not been able to stay healthy. He, did, he has taken steps forward in his game, but he hasn't been able to play long enough to prove how much better he actually actually is. And behind Dante Exum is just Emmanuel Moutier, which every Nuggets fan knows is not a good situation for a playoff team. Still, though, that's probably one of the best starting fives in the entire NBA. So because of that, I would absolutely say that the Utah Jazz got much better than they were last year. They got the multi the multifaceted, offensively-minded forward they needed in Bogdanovich. They got the strong on-or-off-ball two-way point guard in Mike Conley. They got more shooting in the starting five. They didn't lose a ton of their defensive versatility, and they replaced the toughness of Derek Favors with Ed Davis for very cheap. It's hard to find fault with what the Utah Jazz were able to do this offseason at the top part of their roster. At the bottom part of their roster, there's some room for interpretation. Their bench is going to be kind of rough. We'll see if they're able to get enough from Dante Exum, Royce O'Neal, Jeff Green, Ed Davis, maybe Emmanuel Moutier to actually put themselves into that conversation. But they did get much, much better. So with all that being said, those are all of the teams from a 10,000-foot view. My way-too-early Northwest rankings as of right now have OKC coming up last, then the Minnesota Timberwolves, then the Portland Trailblazers, then the Utah Jazz, and then the Denver Nuggets as repeat Northwest Division champs. Things can change. The NBA changes literally every 25 minutes, it seems like. But as of right now, it does seem like the Denver Nuggets have the advantage to be a team that can win the Northwest Division for the second year in a row, which would be very, very incredible to see from this Nuggets team, considering how young they are. So we'll have to wait and see, but... This has been the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. This has been the Northwest Division Preview. Um, it's going to be a very fun season. Again, a very stacked Northwest Division. And stick around with the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast as the season finally starts to roll around. Make sure you subscribe on all of your podcast listening platforms, whether it's Google Podcasts, whether it's Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker um, itself, whether you're on Stitcher, or Player FM, whatever it may be, the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast is almost assuredly on it. Uh, make sure you leave a five-star rating, leave a review, reach out to me on Twitter at TJ McBride MBA uh, for any kind of feedback you want to give me. My DMs are open. My email is in my bio on my Twitter. So whatever information you want to send my way, whatever critiques, whatever, you know, a little bit of advice, whatever things you would like to see more of on the show, reach out to me. I'm always around to talk, but until next time, this has been the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. Thank you very much for listening.